Thank you, Ted, for shepherding us in prayer, and a special thanks for everyone who labored, many of you, so that we could have an Advent service this morning, a time of looking forward to the coming of Christ, celebrating His first coming, and then also being mindful that Christ is coming again, and we need to be prepared for that. And uh, one other piece of housekeeping before we get started, as I said uh, this week, Logos is going to be starting to wind down. Book Club will be winding up, so I brought a couple of copies of the Amy Carmichael book, which we will be using for our um, Logos Book Club. And so if you're interested in participating in Book Club, you can come and ask me for those after Um, on the requisite that you and Dee are going to do book club, and I will stock you down and follow up and find out what you learned about Amy Carmichael, but those are there for you. I want to also say a special thanks for everyone who loved and cared for our family this past week. We had the joy of getting COVID tested and uh, enjoying swabs in the nose and and in the throats. And, uh, you know, in God's wisdom, we were COVID negative, so we could be with you here, but we were thankful for that experience and, and especially thankful for all the healthcare workers, believers and unbelievers alike on the front lines who are trying to care for our nation and this population during this hard season. And this season in particular, this week has been particularly grim, as I'm sure you've noticed, and it's been a particularly grim start to the Christmas season. As the numbers in new cases and deaths due to COVID-19 have continued to rise. And our world continues to lock down increasingly. Someone asked us this morning, what's going to happen in the days ahead for worship? And God only knows, and the government has its plans. But things seem to be going in the direction of increasingly locking down. And the hope of the world, it seems, is for the advent or the arrival of a vaccine that will somehow deliver us from this pandemic. And for the record, I just want you to know, I personally personally am grateful for vaccines, past and present and future. I know in some conservative evangelical circles, vaccines are viewed as curses rather than gifts. But I grew up with a music teacher who walked with a limp because she was born at a time and a season where there were not vaccines yet for the polio disease. And I spent time with a young man who suffered from brain damage from measles. And one of our boys suffered from pertussis or the whooping cough uh, even after being immunized due to the different strains that are happening and the unevenness of of the vaccination that is happening. And few things, you know, as parents are more disturbing than hearing your child struggling to breathe at night. And for most of us, vaccines and modern medicine have been a common grace from the Lord that have alleviated and abbreviated much suffering. And for the many who are suffering in some way during this pandemic and in our nation and around the world, I really do hope that the COVID-19 vaccines work, that they work well, and they work soon. And as a church family, I just want to exhort us, regardless of what your politics are, regardless of your stance on vaccines, we need to be praying for our nation, our leaders, 
and our world because many indeed increasingly are suffering through this experience, some economically, some financially, some obviously emotionally through this time and era, and whether they are believers or not, we need to be in prayer for them. And very clearly in America, it seems that those who are suffering most seem to be those who are most marginalized or the least among us. It's a very unevenly distributed realm of suffering, and yet it is getting closer and closer. But as we come to God's word this morning, God shows us we need more than just a vaccine to save us. And we need more than an economic stimulus plan from Congress to save us. We need someone who is able to deliver us from our darkness and our depravity and our death. We need someone to bring light and life and love into a very dark world. We need someone to bring light and life and love into our lives and into our homes and into our marriages and into our world. What was interesting for me to note this past week was a report on the number of suicides that have taken place in Japan recently during the COVID-19 era. And I don't think it's surprising in a separate report how they noted that of the top places that are the most safe and best places to be, according to Blomberg, Japan is listed as far as one of those countries that has COVID-19 most under control. And that's not to diminish shelter in place and lockdown and vaccines. What it is, I think, a point to be worth noted is that there is more to the human heart and the human life and the human soul than just our physical well-being. We need a bigger salvation. And we need a bigger Savior. And the good news of Christmas, brothers and sisters, we say this early lest it get lost in the shuffle, is this is exactly what God has given us. He has given us a Savior who brings light and life, and love into the entirety of our world and life and experiences, into our marriages, our homes, our families, our church, and into the world itself. This, brothers and sisters, is what Advent is about. Advent is about looking forward to and celebrating the coming of a king who is greater than the darkness and depravity of this world. Advent is about a Savior for sinners like you and I. If you have your Bibles, please turn with us to Matthew 1, verse 18. And together we're going to read through these God-breathed words, which are Matthew's account of the coming, the Advent, the first Advent, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Matthew 1, 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name 
Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Well, brothers and sisters, Christmas, even for unbelievers, is all about the giving of gifts. Especially the gifts of light and warmth and love in the cold, dark winter months. And the God-breathed words we just read are Matthew's Gospel account of the advent or arrival in history 2,000 years ago of the greatest gift of all. Now we say that and we note that, but it's worth stopping to consider, is this indeed the greatest gift of all? Does it have that impact of that superlative, of something special or remarkable? Well, it's very easy during this time and season of the year to get focused on all the lights and the gifts and the glitter. And sometimes we can lose sight of what the greatest gift of all is. And it's the gift of a child who is God's gift of His light and His love and His life for a people and for a world that is dying in its darkness and sin. Now that may sound harsh, but there have been few Christmases in our recent past that have highlighted a world that is dying in its darkness and its sin and its inability to save itself. There are few Christmases that have been like this one. And this brings us to our first point for this morning. Jesus Christ is the gift of God's light and life and love for sinners like us. Jesus Christ is God's gift of light and life and love for sinners like us. Matthew's gospel account of the advent and arrival of Jesus Christ that we just read begins in verse 18 with an unexpected gift that comes wrapped in the womb of a young virgin named Mary. Verse 18, he says, Now the birth or the genesis of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now for parents and those who are not parents, you know that there are few greater gifts of God's grace than the gift of holding the light and life and love a little child in your belly or your arms. I recall those magic moments in our life when Julie was pregnant with our boys. And to see that change over time and to put your ear up to the belly or to see that belly move and see that fist punch out, eager to get out. And then later, with the arrival of that child and the joy of holding that little peanut, that little newborn in your arms, sometimes screaming and sometimes sleeping. But nonetheless, it's a special moment and special experience that spurs us on to have more and more children. Because you run out of those moments with those little ones in your arms and there's something special and there should be something special and something magical and it's not by accident that the Lord chooses to bring the good news of the gospel for sinners like us in the form of a fetus and a pregnancy and ultimately a newborn babe. 
But the point that Matthew goes out of his way to make here with these words is that this child that is found in Mary's womb is no ordinary child. He explicitly goes through and chooses his words carefully. This child that is found in Mary's womb, prior to her coming together with Joseph, her betrothed, is a supernatural miracle and work of God's grace. This child is, like no other child, this child is from the Holy Spirit of God. And Matthew mentions that to us twice in this passage, in case we didn't get it the first time around. This child is the gift of God's very own light, and life, and love in us. And it's the gospel, brothers and sisters. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is not that He's hung up on a cross in a church somewhere. It's the good news of Christ in us. And brothers and sisters, if we haven't experienced Christ in us, we have not experienced Christ at all. But as we come to verse 19, Matthew shows us that like so many fetuses and pregnancies in America, this advent of God's light and life into our world proves to be inconvenient and unwanted. Inconvenient and unwanted by even the best of men, which is what Joseph is according to God's word. In verse 19, Matthew describes Joseph as being a just man. Now when he says Joseph is a just man, he's not saying that Joseph is perfect. He's not saying that Joseph is without sin. That phrase, a just man or a righteous man, in Scripture simply means that Joseph is a believer in God. It means that Joseph is a faithful keeper of his word, which at that time is the law of Moses. It means that Joseph is a member in good standing in the local religious community where the law of Moses prevails. He is not a tax collector, he's not a Gentile, he's not a lawbreaker, he's not within that community who are lawbreakers and outside, who are lawless and outside of the law. He's a good, law-abiding Jewish man who is represented in the Jewish community. His name is probably on the list of the local synagogue, and obviously is also recorded in the temple. By the religious standards of the Old Covenant, Joseph is a good man. Someone we would say, this is a good man. He's actually better than most at that time in that era. And yet, for such a man, living at such a time and in such a place, a child from an unknown father in the womb of his betrothed, is not a little problem, it's a very big problem. It says, so Joseph, being not only a just man, but also, it says, and points out, that he is unwilling to put her to shame. It's pointing out that Joseph is not only a just man, he's a compassionate man. He's a kind man. And he's got this problem, and he's between a rock and a hard place. What to do? According to the law of Moses, evidence of adultery, which is what everybody assumed this to be, was punishable by death. And as time had gone on, that alleviated a little bit under Roman rule. And so to honor the law of Moses, you were expected to divorce such a woman. And yet Joseph wanted to do so discreetly because it says here, he did not want to put her to shame. He didn't want to make a public spectacle. He didn't want to be vindictive to Mary. He didn't want to blame shift and say, oh, this is all your problem. He wanted to find a way to honor the word of the Lord and at the same time to try and protect Mary from any harm that would come from this. Joseph is a better man than most. Joseph 
is, by the standards of the law, a good and kind man. And so what does he decide to do? He comes up with a plan. He resolves to divorce Mary quietly. He resolves to divorce Mary quietly. And this is his plan to honor the law of Moses without shaming Mary. But as well-intentioned as Joseph is, Joseph, as we see, has everything wrong. I want to highlight that, brothers and sisters. We can be good people. We can be better than most. And when problems come along, we can try and solve them with the best of intentions and the best of our resources. And yet our best falls well short of the glory of God. And the best of intentions can be completely wrong. And that's the case with Joseph right here. He has everything wrong. He cannot see this pregnancy for what it is. He cannot see the advent or gift of God's light and life and love in his marriage and in his life. Brothers and sisters, how often do we mistake God's gifts and his work in our lives as inconveniences, as problems, as difficulties, as things that we need to cover and try and get rid of quietly? Well, that brings us to our second point for this morning. We, like Joseph, need God's help to appreciate who Jesus is. We, like Joseph, need God's help to appreciate who Jesus is. This is true for Joseph. And brothers and sisters, this is true for you and I. And it's true for everyone. And this is what Matthew shows us in verse 19 and 20. He shows us that even a good man like Matthew doesn't have a clue what is going on and what God is doing. And he doesn't have a clue who Jesus is. Why is this the case? It's because even the best of men are sinners like you and I. Even the best of men are sinners like you and I. Sinners whose sin is the blinding belief that we don't need God's help. Sinners whose sin is the blinding belief that we don't need God's word. Sinners whose sin is a blinding belief that we do not need God's salvation or His Savior. Well, Pastor Mark, that's not us. We're here at church on Sunday. We wouldn't be here if we didn't believe in God and we didn't believe in His Word and we didn't believe we needed His help and we didn't believe that we need a Savior. Brothers and sisters, how often are, like Joseph, our plans, our efforts, our lives good enough as they are? And how often do we look to our own plans to try and save ourselves or to fix our problems or to run our own lives. Because that's what we find Joseph actually doing. And that's not to bag on Joseph because, brothers and sisters, if we're honest with ourselves, and this is me included, when a problem comes our way, what do we do first? Where do we go? How do we deal with these things? How do we view them? And if we're honest with ourselves, more often than not, we look for a way to fix it ourselves. And we look for a way to handle things discreetly and quietly so that it doesn't become a big deal either for us or for other people. And more often than not, brothers and sisters, we do that and we celebrate it as being independent and considerate and not putting our problems on other people. 
But in a sense, brothers and sisters, with that celebrated Asian pride of not being a burden to other people, in a sense, brothers and sisters, what we're really coming out and saying is, my life is good enough, my plans are good enough, my fix is good enough, I've got this under control. And to come out and to say to someone, well, I don't have it under control, my I can't fix this problem. I need help. In our community and in our world, that's really an admission of weakness. Right? It's an admission of failure. It's a lack of success. If your problems extend outside the four walls of your home, it's an embarrassment. It's a shame. It means you couldn't handle it on your own. And to some degree, we see this same pattern that's happening in Joseph's life. And the truth is, brothers and sisters... That belief that we can save ourselves, that we can fix our own problems, and that we can run our own lives without the help of God's Savior and His Word. Not just on Sundays, but in our marriages, our parenting, our work, and every aspect of our lives. Our words, thoughts, and deeds. The belief that somehow we can get this done and we're good enough on our own and we don't need to change and we don't need to grow in Christ. Brothers and sisters, that has been the lie of sin that has destroyed our lives, our family, and our world right from the beginning. And in the weeks to come, we're going to look at that. But that's where Eve started. And that's where Adam started. We don't really need God's salvation. We don't really need His Word. We've got a plan that works for us. We can go it alone. And as we come to verse 20, Matthew points out that Joseph is not looking for God's help. It says in verse 20, but as he considered these things, and these things refers to what comes right before it, Joseph's plan to divorce Mary quietly. Joseph is busy trying to manage and cover his problem himself with a quiet divorce. And as I've said before, brothers and sisters, how often, like Joseph, do we try and manage and cover our problems quietly? And thankfully for Joseph and us, God's mercy is far greater than our sin or our plans. And the help Joseph needs, God gives graciously and gently through his word, given by an angel who appears to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And with these words, Joseph, son of David, God reminds Joseph that he has a plan of salvation. And that his plan of salvation has been around for a while. And his plan of salvation is good and true. And his plan of salvation is far greater and better than Joseph's plan of salvation, which is to to divorce his wife quietly. Joseph, son of David. With those words, he reminds David that they, excuse me, that Joseph is not just a carpenter. And he's not just a man with a problem, and a problem pregnancy. Brothers and sisters, how often, when problems and troubles come our way, do we view ourselves that way and forget who our Father is, who has died for us, and who is with us? Well, Joseph has no idea that Christ, the God of the universe, is actually with him. And what he's forgotten is that he is of the line of David. 
And he has forgotten God's promise and plan that God will provide a way of salvation from our sins and he will provide a savior through the line of David. And so God, with these words, graciously reminds David, hey, I have a plan of salvation here. It's been around for a while. It's better than years. And guess what? Joseph, you are part of my plan of salvation. Brothers and sisters, what the Lord is doing through this angel is he's just providing biblical counseling. For a man who is going completely in the wrong direction, even though he's a good and just man, and he thinks he's abiding by the law, but he's forgetting one big thing. He's forgetting the Lord and His plan of salvation. He's forgetting who He is, and that's one of the things we do when biblical counseling. We want to find out first, do you know Jesus? And if you do know Jesus, have you forgotten that you belong to Him? And that his plan of salvation is still good, even though your life is hard. And that because of the cross, you are part of God's plan of salvation. With these words, the Lord reminds Joseph of these things. And with the words, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, God gives Joseph the counsel and courage he needs to do. What is right? He gives Joseph the counsel and courage he needs to walk by faith and to walk by the promises of God rather than by what he sees. It's biblical counseling, brothers and sisters. How often, when we're in the midst of the mess, is the mess so big? We lack courage and we're afraid. Because we're overwhelmed and we don't have a solution for the problem in front of us. When in fact what the Lord is trying to do is to get our attention and show us that the solution we need comes from Him and not from us. And the way we need to walk is by faith, not by sight. And what we need to cling to and hold on to are the promises of a God who always keeps His promise. And as you read through the Psalms, you see this is exactly what David does during his times of distress. He goes back and remembers all the ways the Lord has saved him and who his God is. And he goes back to the scriptures in the Torah of who God is, the creator of the universe. The one who makes the rain and the sand and the stars and the seas. And he goes back to those places that anchor him in the promises of God and the reminders that David is part of God's promise of salvation. And this is what gives David courage to look up and to carry on. And this is how God is graciously shepherding Joseph. And with the words, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, God chose Joseph. This pregnancy is not a problem to be managed quietly. It is a gift to be celebrated widely. This pregnancy is the supernatural work of God's Holy Spirit in Mary's womb. It is the gift of God's life and salvation. With these words, God shows Joseph, this child is not a mistake or an accident. He is the fulfillment of all God's promises of life and salvation that have been written in His Word. This child is a Savior for sinners like us. With these words, God sets Joseph straight and He corrects him. 
This child is not bad news. This child is good news. Brothers and sisters, how often do we have our problems all wrong? How often has God brought problems and inconveniences into our marriages, our lives, our work, our church, for the very purpose to open our eyes to the reality that we are not alone, that Christ is in us. And the solution we need is not in us, brothers and sisters, but it is in the person of a Savior who came to save sinners like you and I. And somehow, brothers and sisters, that's good enough for when we get saved. But it's not good enough for our problems as believers. It's not good enough for our problems as elders, as pastors, as husbands. And it seems to be the place we run to are our own fixes that get everything backwards, brothers and sisters. Well, Jesus came for sinners like us to put everything right side up. Brothers and sisters, where does God give sinners like us the help we need to appreciate who Jesus is? Because that's what it all comes down to. And that's where all these words that the Lord is speaking through this angel to Jesus, that's where it's going. See the end point. It's not just a a quick fix for Joseph's problem. All of these things are to bring Joseph to the place where he can appreciate who this child is. It's the fact that Joseph doesn't appreciate the fullness of who Jesus is that makes him go completely in the wrong direction. And I say this as a warning to us, elders, deacons, and members. Brothers and sisters, you can have most of it right and all of it wrong. You can have most of it right in your marriage and your parenting. Yes, we'll read the scriptures. Yes, we need to be good children. Yes, we need to obey God's word. But if you do not understand and appreciate who Jesus is and your need for him, a savior who saves sinners who cannot save themselves, if we don't see that, brothers and sisters, all we are are Pharisees and legalists, building a Christian culture and a worldview, and yet we are powerless to save ourselves or our children because the one ingredient that is most important Savior who can save sinners like us, that's missing. So that's exactly where the Lord is taking Joseph. And that's the point he brings him to. And he shows us, brothers and sisters, through this by example, where does God give sinners like us the help we need to appreciate who Jesus is and how Jesus is working in our lives? Where does he give us the counsel and courage we need to walk with him by faith? And not by sight. Where does he give us the counsel and courage to stand up when everybody else is sitting down? Well, brothers and sisters, very clearly, he gives it to us through his word. And it's with his written word, the Bible, that God has given us a greater help than an angel or a dream. In the Bible, the Lord has given us his promise and plan of salvation fully. And he has given us the gospel which shows us that Jesus is the greatest gift of all. And that brings us to our final point for this morning. Jesus Christ is the greatest gift of all for sinners like us. Brothers and sisters, do we believe it? Because this is the good news of Christmas. And this is why, even during COVID-19, believers have every reason to celebrate. 
Because we might not have wealth, and we might not have a vaccine, and we might not have friends or a spouse or children. But with Christ, we have the greatest gift of all. This is what God is shepherding Joseph with. And this is what God spells out for Joseph and us in verse 21. When his angel explains to Joseph, she, being Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now at first glance, there seems to be nothing extraordinary or special about these words or this child. The history record suggests that at this time and this place, there were no shortage of young Jewish women bearing sons with the name Jesus. There was an abundance of young Jewish boys named Jesus then, even as there are now. Might be in Latin America, but there's no shortage of them. And it's because that name, Jesus, is simply the Greek version of the Hebrew name Yehoshua or Joshua. Named after the mighty prophet and leader who was the successor of Moses. Who fulfilled God's promise by bringing God's people into the promised land. But what Matthew points out for us in verse 22 through 23. And he does so by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Is that according to God's word. According to the Bible. These words, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. These words are no ordinary words. And this is no ordinary child. These words, she will bear a son, where the she is referring specifically to a young, unmarried Jewish woman, a virgin. These are the words of promise the Lord God had given to his people some 700 years prior. And he'd given it to his people through the mouth of his prophet Isaiah. These are God-breathed words that are written in Scripture, promising God's gift of His life and His salvation for a people who had no life and had no salvation of their own. In fact, as you go through the Old Testament and you look up that phrase, she shall bear a son, that comes up repeatedly with women who are unable to give birth to children. To Sarah, as she gives birth to Isaac late in life. Hannah. Repeatedly, God sees fit to come to women who are unable to bear children in order to step in and let them know that He is at work and He is present and that the outcome and the fruit of their womb is a supernatural work of God. And this, in Isaiah, is the, is the biggest and the largest and, and what all of those other births are pointing to. And God is using this as a testimony. You who have no life and salvation of your own. You who live under the curse of sin. God is able to come and give you life and light and love. These brothers and sisters are no ordinary words. They are the promise of God. And they are the promise of God of His life and salvation for His people. And they are a sign of the advent, the coming, or the arrival of His salvation. The virgin bearing a son who will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And here God through this angel is showing Joseph who this child is. Jesus is the gift of God's salvation. Jesus is God with us. I want you to step back for a minute here. In the book of Isaiah, the context of those words, she will bear a son, 
And you shall call, she will bear a son, and his name will be Emmanuel, or he will be called Emmanuel. In the book of Isaiah, where these words are taken from, where this promise is given, God's overarching message to his people in the book of Isaiah is that their primary problem is not poverty or war or disease or social justice. These are merely symptoms of their primary problem of the primary problem that is destroying their lives, their homes, their world, and their worship. Their primary problem, according to the God-breathed words of Isaiah, is their sinful hearts. And very specifically, as you read through Isaiah, their problem are sinful hearts that refuse to turn to the Lord as the only one who can save them from their sin. Brothers and sisters, that's the heart of sin. And in the weeks to come, we're going to go through Genesis 2 and look for what sin is all about and why we need a Savior. Are we sinners? Yeah, we're sinners. Do we make mistakes? Yeah, we make mistakes. We've lost sight and an understanding of what is so offensive about the sin that's in each one of us. And the heart of sin, brothers and sisters, and Isaiah unfolds this, is that sin at its heart is a refusal to believe that God is the only one who can save us. The heart of it, it's the belief that we can somehow save ourselves. And this is what the Lord in the book of Isaiah is calling everyone in Israel to repent of. Turn to me. And these are the words that Peter read earlier this morning. Isaiah forty-five twenty-one: There is no other God beside me. A righteous God and Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. The song that our special music team sang this morning. It's an expression from, that's, this is from Isaiah. This is come to me. Right? You who do not have money. Take from me. Right? You who don't have gold and silver. You who are hungry. You who don't have food. Come to me and I will give you food to eat. Come to me though your sins be as scarlet and I will wash you and make you as white as snow. It's a terrible paraphrase, okay? But you get the point. God's invitation is, look, leave behind your own plans of salvation, your money, all of those things. You who have absolutely nothing, come to me and I will take care of you. And I will love you. And I will give you a life that will save you. But the recurrent history of the world and the history of Israel is, no, 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 no. God, we've got it covered. We can handle it on our own. The history of the world and the history of sin and the history of darkness and death is that we refuse to turn to the Lord as the only God who can save our marriages, our children, our church, our lives from our sin. And instead, we turn to everything else this world has to offer. This week, my eyes have been captivated by all the stories that are coming up about Tony Shea, the Zappos visionary, and the tech god, who got everything this world has to offer, and then devoted all of those things that he acquired through being everything that we desire to be, 
using that to try and help other people, devoting his wealth and his experience and his technology and his community, all of those things, all devoted to save and help others and to save and renew downtown Las Vegas and to put together communities for people. And yet at the very end, he was unable to save himself and he burned in a fire which he was unable to get out of the house And the fire department had to break down the doors and carry him out. And Forbes, which did a great article, which you should read, talked about the people who tried to intervene and let him know that he was on a downward course. They called it an American tragedy. It's a fitting title for this man's life and his story. An American tragedy. Because, brothers and sisters, it's not just Tony Shea. He just got it. We don't all get it. We don't get the jet and you know the hundreds of millions of dollars and the tech company that we're able to sell. We, we don't necessarily get that. But he got it all. But brothers and sisters, it's our story nonetheless because it's our worship of the very things that cannot save us and destroy us. We just might not do it on Tony Shea's scale. Our inability, brothers and sisters, but our love affair with worshiping everything except the one who is close to us, who is able to save us from our sin. The name Jesus in the original Hebrew literally means Yahweh or the Lord is salvation. The Lord is salvation. And like all the names given by the Lord, this name is a message to the world. It's a message that sums up the entirety of God's Word. It's a message that sums up the entirety of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the message that the Lord alone is the God who saves sinners from their sin. This is who this child is. This is what all men so desperately need. And you shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. And brothers and sisters, the reason this is such good news is that for sinners, even the best of them like Joseph, who are unable to get it right and fix their sin, who are unable to come to God because they are blind, incapable and unwilling. For those who are unable to save themselves, unwilling to come to the Lord, because that's the history of sin. The good news of God's Word is that He has come to us. For those who cannot come because we are handicapped by sin to the Lord, He has come to us. That's what this story is all about. And in the rest of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew shows us exactly how Jesus has come to us and how He saves sinners from their sins. He will do what no man can do. For those who will not and cannot come to God, He will come to them. And in obedience to God's Word, this Savior will give His holy life as a sacrifice on a cross. And for sinners who cannot save themselves... He will give His life so that they may be given a completely new life and love with Him. How? Not by any works or achievement or great church program. 
Simply, brothers and sisters, by faith in him and a willingness to receive him as the only name and mediator and person by which a sinner can be saved. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the greatest gift of all. He is a savior who saves sinners who cannot save themselves. He is God with us. Kobe Bryant and his short film, Dear Basketball, won an Academy Award for the short film and the letter and the eulogy that he gave to the love of his life. Basketball. Basketball was his, arguably, his savior. He certainly talked about basketball in that way. And in fairness, basketball did an awful lot for Kobe Bryant. It's the law of the sports. You take care of the ball and the ball will take care of you. There's only one problem. You better be able to take care of that ball well. But without doubt, Kobe Bryant was able to achieve with his passion for basketball all the things that so often we long for. And if I was to come to you and say, okay, you could have Kobe Bryant's life. I think we would find it, brothers and sisters, hard to resist. We know how that story goes in America. And there is a sense indeed in which to some extent basketball did save his life from the things that most black male Americans experience. But the tragedy, brothers and sisters, is that in a matter of minutes, a helicopter crash took away from Kobe Bryant and, and us everything that basketball had given him. In a matter of minutes, Kobe Bryant discovered he was a man just like anybody else who not only could not save himself, but he could not save what he loved most, which was his daughter. And you might even argue, as he was flying to his daughter's basketball game, that the God who had given Kobe Bryant everything in the end took it all away. Brothers and sisters, what are you worshiping and celebrating this Christmas? The good news of Christmas and Advent, brothers and sisters, is that the Lord has loved you so much that He has not waited for you to climb the mountain or take care of the ball so the ball can take care of you. He has come to you. And He has provided you with nothing less than Himself and a plan of salvation and a Savior for sinners who cannot help themselves. The question, brothers and sisters, are we willing to admit that we are sinners who cannot help ourselves? And are we willing to put away our plans of privately and quietly fixing our problems? And instead, are we willing to turn and come to the God who loves us and died to save us? I have a couple of meditation points and application points for you for the Christmas holidays as we consider this. Number one, who is your Savior? Who is your Savior? Who's the Savior of your marriage? Who's the savior of your job and your career? Who's the savior of your relationships? And that's easily answered, brothers and sisters. 
Where do you turn to when there's a problem in your marriage? Where do you turn to when there's a problem in your parenting? Where do you turn to when there's a problem on your job? Where do you turn to when there's a problem that you cannot fix? Who is my Savior? But then we need to ask ourselves, how has Christ come to us? Brothers and sisters, Christ has given Himself through His Spirit and His Word. We have Bibles before us. We don't need dreams or angels. We don't need any more virgin births. That's already happened. Christ has come. And He's come near to sinners who cannot come to Him. And that's a gift from the Lord, brothers and sisters, that is priceless. It's worth meditating and considering in your lives. And brothers and sisters, the problems in your lives. And go and make a list of them. Because I think you'll be surprised. If you're willing to open God's word and read it, you may see that the problems in your life are actually divinely orchestrated by the Lord to get your attention. To show you how much He loves you and how great a Savior He has given you. And finally, brothers and sisters, what are we to do? As we come to the end of this passage, we see a very different Joseph. Joseph has been corrected. Joseph has been brought to a place of repentance. And instead of coming up with his own plans, he simply does as the Lord commands him. Well, what is the Lord commanding us this Christmas, brothers and sisters, with the lights and the gifts and the cookies and all the great things? His command is simple. We need to come to Him. We need to come to Him. That has always been God's command, the command of the God who has come to us. I have come to you. You need to turn to me. And so, brothers and sisters, this Christmas, my encouragement to you is to take the book of Isaiah and read through it. And pick one of the two Gospels that gives the Nativity account, the Gospel of Matthew and Luke. And take some time, brothers and sisters, this Christmas to learn through God's Word who Jesus truly is and to allow God's Word to set you straight. Are you willing, brothers and sisters, to allow the Gospel to correct your heart and mind and marriage and home and to give you the life of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, what a Savior you are. Greater than basketball, greater than Kobe Bryant, greater than venture capital or the tech companies and all that this world has to offer, but cannot save us from our sin. Lord Jesus, how many times do we have to see these stories? How many times do we have to hear the good news to appreciate, Lord Jesus, how you have loved us with a love that this world can never offer us? This Christmas, Lord Jesus, may it be filled by faith with you rather than us. In your name we pray. Amen.